I wasn't too sure, Zuei, if we were just uh, forgetting about everything else and just continuing with worship this morning. It was, it was so, so, so beautiful. I greet you in the precious name of Jesus this morning. Alison, we're thinking of you there in the Netherlands. There's distance, physically but not spiritually. She's with us also, mom, family. And uh, yes, we miss, we miss you this morning, Ali. That's our personal message from rebirth to you. And um, Dean will remember, you said now not so long ago that... Um, I preached at some point in time and I was talking about auditing. Yes. It's important to do auditing, correct? Yes. In our companies, in our portfolios that we have from time to time, we get audited to make sure that we're actually complying. Morning, Diesel. Good to see you, my brother. And you know, in the, in the world of auditing, like we've said, you've got what is documented and the auditors will come out to ensure that what is documented actually is being implemented. Can I remind us, I'm not even going to suggest to us, can I remind us that our daily lives are actually building up to the biggest audit ever? We will stand before the King of Kings and give account of our lives. What has been documented, what has been given to us, have we actually implemented? I went uh, through a course not so long ago at, at work for, for management that is for, it's called employee engagement. Now, the idea behind employee engagement is to make good use of the resources that you have, the human resources that you have. Because some people, they say, are at work, but sort of checked out. They come into the building, but doesn't mean that they are contributing fruitfully to the cause of the organization. So how do we bring people back in? This is what the employee engagement is all about. So. Something that uh, they've mentioned in, in, in this particular course is something that we've got to realize is that we've gone through COVID. Lots has changed. We can't have the same type of management style that perhaps we had in the past. You can't be just task orientated. You've got to look at the individual as well. This individual comes with some weight on their shoulders. You cannot just say, I want, I want, I want. I don't care about who you are and what the table as well. I just want. So we've got to look at a whole new package here. But the Bible has always told us to be that type of person, right? The Bible has told us to consider the man. The Bible has always been about the person, the relationship. Now, talking about auditing, part of this particular course is they say you've got to be ready in season and out of season. So they used an example in this particular course and they said it's very easy for some people to be ready based on what they're doing versus other people. And they, in this particular uh, example, they said, right, men, men, we're going to say to you today, as part of you being ready in season and out of season, take off your shoes and show us your feet. Now, 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 we know the ladies at any point in time are pride, proudly taking off their shoes and showing off their newly pedicured manicured so pedicured feet no problem but now let's get to the guys let's get to the guys so 
holy socks. <laughs> if we had to right now, out of season, Grenville, are you checking? <laughs> Say, guys, show us your feet. Okay, first we had to get past the, hey, does the sock have a hole in it this morning? And never mind that. Ooh, when last were those nails cut? Because, you know, we don't go for the pedicure. I, I see some guilty faces up in here. Okay, guys, we won't be taking off any socks this morning. But are we ready in season and out of season? Are we ready to be audited? Because we know we're preparing for this ultimate audit, but the ad hoc audit could come at any time. That's the reality. That is the reality of it. Our ad hoc audit could be called of us today. Are we ready for that? Now, we were, myself and Bevan, just talking before the service as well, with regards to how busy we are. I don't know if anybody else has been feeling like I've been feeling. Man, there is not enough time in the day. Anybody else been feeling that way? And for you listening online and Ali there in Netherlands, almost half the church raised their hands, actually more than. So we are at a time in our lives where we feel that there's not enough time in the day, where we literally are chasing the sun. Maybe we should have more faith and pray like, like Joshua did and ask for the sun to stop. But then the question still remains, even if you had more time, what would you do with it? Even if you had more time, we still got 24 hours, right? But we are still making decisions with the 24 hours. What decisions are those? My good friend Marlon there always said, hey, one day he's going to invite my, invent microwave sleep where you can get eight hours in two minutes. <laughs> eight hours sleep in two minutes. Would be amazing, right? would be absolutely amazing but still we come back to what would you do if you had the time would you do anything differently my darling wife at, 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 at the back was trying to get me to join super brew this whole week um, that's that fantasy league for those who are not on it um, I know Patil is looking at me like what is that <laughs> so fantasy league but and, and my and my response was because the minister, you know, the Holy Spirit has been really just on my heart about what I'm going to share with you this morning. And it was, okay, I can get onto Super Brew. I can add something else to my schedule, which is going to impact on other things, impact more on my time. Bevan has often said, you know, in that, that we say, I don't have time, I don't have time. I don't know where the time goes to. We still have time for social media. If we don't have time to get into the Word, we will find time for Facebook. If we don't have time to get into the Word, we will find time for Instagram. And then there's the beloved TikTok that has arrived on the scene. Before you know it, two hours has passed. Where did you find the time? I ask you this morning. Bevan shared... Uh, not so long ago with about one of his friends um, post-COVID has not made it back to church because online is a lot more convenient. Yes. Actually, now I can do what I did before based on the little bit of time. I can put it into a box online. What decisions are we making with the time that we have so technology is supposed to be making our lives simpler and better. But really, is it? We've gotten busier and more distracted as time has gone by. We've gotten busier and more distracted from our family, from our loved ones. When last have we had a conversation? It's so difficult to put down a device and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. The title of my message this morning is Accused. And Wesley that preached last week dropped a seed for me when he spoke about what Pastor Billy also talks about quite often. If 
you were accused for the gospel, would there be sufficient evidence to convict you? And let me put it to you this way, not if, when you are accused for the gospel, because we will stand in front of the King of Kings one day to give account for our lives, will there be enough evidence to convict us? Will the Lord be able to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or will we first have to get through the replays and replays of TikTok videos and Instagram and Facebook before we get to the daily living of the mandate that we have been given? The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This has been our mandate here on earth. But how many of us are actually fulfilling our daily mandate? So we're doing an audit this morning. What's documented is the mandate. What is implemented is the question mark. What is our daily life actually all about? So if you remember, we're in the book of Acts. We're continuing with the series in the book of Acts. And just in line of that, a quick recap. The book of Acts, written by Dr. Luke, physician, travel partner of uh, the Apostle Paul. Okay. He was a skilled, very skilled writer, very skilled at record keeping. The medical profession at that point in time was only 400 years old and the doctors were actually trained meticulously in order to facilitate this growth. Okay? Luke, author of two books, two volumes, the book of Luke, and the book of Acts, all right? And the book of Acts, simply put, we can put it divided into two for simplicity. Mainly the apostle Peter, counting the first 12 chapters, and thereafter mainly on Paul for the latter. Literally a blueprint of the church, of how we conduct church. And we see Luke addressing the most excellent Theophilus. This is how he starts out Acts. The most excellent Theophilus, meaning that this Theophilus was probably somebody of authority, of high standing. And some scholars actually say that perhaps Luke was presenting an account on behalf of Paul as to how Paul has gotten into the situation where he is right now in prison, accounting for the life of Jesus Christ and this radically growing church, this gospel that we have. As Bevan has pointed out in also previous sermons on the book of Acts, one of the most underrated themes in the book of Acts would be that theme of the resurrection of Christ. Okay. In the synoptic gospels, Jesus predicts his death at least three times. He also mentions the resurrection. Okay. In the Old Testament in Isaiah 53, we see here 53 verses 5, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. So many years ago, talking about what was to come. Psalm 22 of David, I mentioned it in one of the, the messages that I spoke about. 22, Psalm 22 verses 1, my God, my God. Now remember, David is writing this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar? Words spoken by Jesus on the cross nearly a thousand years Later, in Acts 2, verses 29 to 34, Paul spoke 
of David literally prophesying that one of his descendants would become or would be the Messiah. That he would be risen from the dead. That his soul would not be left in Hades. And that his flesh would not see corruption. So we already get these hints and signs of the resurrection that was to come. And if there was no resurrection, the very words of prophecy, the predictions of Jesus Christ would be, would, would be null and void. They would be lies. There would be no faith. There would, there would be no the way that Paul talks about. There would be no church. There would be no rebirth because there would be nothing to talk about. There would be no resurrection. There would be no Holy Spirit coming down. The Gospels and all before it actually lay the foundation for this book of Acts. We see God revealing His character to man, man and God, and we see the introduction of sin. We see the separation of man and God. And we see countless attempts through the law for man to be joined to God again. And we see man failing time and time and time again. We see the introduction of Jesus Christ, the life and death, the resurrection bringing the hope of salvation. We see the great commission being put out. And then we come to the book of Acts where we literally as the church have been given the mandate to carry this vision going forward. As Wesley loves to say, and I like to, and I love the way he says that, friend, 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 are we carrying the mandate? The friend was the part of Wesley, not the rest. So the major themes in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming down to fill man, to indwell man, and to empower man for this mandate. We don't do this on our own. Amen? Amen. We don't do this on our own. So the major theme is the Holy Spirit. The acts of the apostles. Okay, The mandate that they were given to testify Jesus Christ, to lead the church, and to serve the church. And then the church itself in the book of Acts. Okay? And the church, we being the church, the ecclesia, the chosen to carry this message across, to carry the testimony of Jesus Christ and to build and extend the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Can I suggest to you this morning that you were not just bold uh, or, or, or you were not just made you were not just formed in your mother's womb to work a corporate job. That is a sidebar of your mandate. You've been put into different places, but your mandate is this. So coming back to coming back to that audit, when we stand there, are we going to be audited on our careers or our mandate? Our last will and testament is one that is read out after we're gone, where we're wishing to express what it is we'd like done with what we've acquired here on earth, what our legacy is, those people who we love, who means something to us, we give this over in the, in the form of a, a, a last will and testament and say, this is my legacy, carry it out like this. This is what I want to impart into your life. The disciples found themselves in exactly the same position where just before the ascension of Christ, that is what happened, where, God, uh, where Jesus said to them in Acts 1 verses 8, when the Holy Spirit comes down on you, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes down on you, you will receive power. And why? 
to become the witnesses of Christ, to take this message to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This was Jesus' last will and testament to the the disciples before he was taken up. Can you imagine if my wife in her last breath says to me, this or these are my last wishes, that's forever imprinted and engraved on my heart. I'm going to hold that dear and I'm going to carry and walk in that. Can you imagine that of the disciples? This is what Jesus said to them at the very last before he was taken up. When we see Jesus again, that is the mandate that he left us with. My brother and my sister, how are we actually walking in that mandate? If we look at the interpretations of what Jesus was talking about, he said, begin here at Jerusalem. Begin here at Jerusalem, right here at home. Jesus was crucified here in Jerusalem. He said, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. We don't do this alone. So we start right here at home. In our church, in our immediate surroundings, our mandate starts at home. We cannot go and impact the world until we start right here at home. Until we start right here in Jerusalem, in the ecclesia, in the chosen, in the called. Now, I want to stress starting at home. Wesley spoke on Sunday about how he beautifully has family devotions with his kids. He chooses to make the time to not be on TikTok, to not be on social media, not be on Facebook and all of those things, but to impart into his kids' lives at that point in time. And I thought, wow, okay, that's good. I wonder if people with kids do that. And then the Holy Spirit checked me. I wonder if you without kids do that. Because what sets us apart? Do we need to have uh, daily devotions, personal time, only because we're imparting to kids? Why do we as adults worry so much about what we need to impart to the kids, but we need to have the infilling of something within ourselves to uh, impart to the kids, correct? Are we starting with our own Jerusalem? Now what I'm saying is, here's our Jerusalem, here's our rebirth. We have Tuesday night prayer. We've been given a mandate to carry this message to the nations. What are we putting on the inside? How seriously are we taking our mandate from the King of Kings? The church is literally facilitating and giving us a stepping stone. It's not the be-all and end-all. It's the stepping stone to what we need to continue to run with. Okay, here's a helping hand. Let's get to prayer. Let's get to prayer. We've got Thursday devotions. Now, let's be real. I was listening to Bevan's Um, ministry on the book of Acts and once again the Holy Spirit just convicting me listening to that and Bevan said we're all reading the book of Acts we all agreed amen and Bevan said okay great now that everybody's put up their hands let's have a quiz and oh the quiz started and there was even prizes and Bevan said, ah, my heart is sore because I feel like I'm giving away these prizes for nothing. <laughs> now, church, I know we laugh and we joke about these things, but the truth of the matter is, there's a little test. 
Imagine if that test was us accused in front of the Father. What have you done? Have you read my word? Have you made time to pray? Have you taken this mandate seriously? Is there enough to convict us? I'm going to propose to you that there isn't. I'm going to propose to you that we're hiding behind a veil of, I come to church, I leave church, I attend this and I attend that, but are we really working out our own salvation? The audit of our lives is coming up. When we don't know, for some of us it could be tonight, it could be today, it could be tomorrow, are we ready? Remember we're looking at the mandate that Jesus gave to, to the disciples. We covered Jerusalem right here at home. He said then from home go into Judea which was the neighboring or the neighborhood within Jerusalem. So where does your daily life take you? Where does your daily life take you? Outside of church, where does Clint go to in his work environment? And these days, I know the work environment is promoting, there's a line. Work is work. And God is God. We don't talk God in work. And we've come to the point of, yes, where we start drawing the line. Where we start conforming. There's no transformation happening because we are conforming. Where in our own minds we've said, I agree. I agree. Work is work. God is for a Sunday. We're preparing for the biggest audit of life. Is there enough evidence? How are we having an impact in our Judea? Samaria. Jesus says, go to Samaria also. Now, you've got to understand, the Samaritans, the Jews looked at them as outcasts, as second grade citizens. I will not even speak to them. John 4 verse 4, Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, showing that there is no divide. This gospel is for all. This gospel is for all. Who are we keeping the gospel from? Is it the beggar or is it the CEO? Where can we not take this gospel to? We've been called to go to all nations. The ends of the earth we've been told to take this gospel, this message. That place that is unfamiliar, that place that will stretch you. Bevan, I don't like preaching. Bevan stretches me. Um, I've, been, I've been up and down, ill, attacked this entire week. And Zoe was just reminding me, yes, Satan doesn't go after those who are not a threat. And all of this I was like Lord but why I don't want to be here but this is about me this is not about me what are the ends of the earth that you've been called to go to what is your mandate you see God is always working behind the scenes in order for us to come into our purpose it's like a movie where you have the script writer, you have the executive producer, the director, you have the cast, all working together to bring about this common thought, this common story. God is working behind the scenes. I was, stand, I was standing there this morning and while we were worshipping and I opened my eyes and I looked at Candace playing the keyboard here. And many of you will not know, but okay, Candace is my sister. But I only met Candace the latter part of my life. Our family, we come from a broken family where we, I just met a cousin this morning. Never seen her before in my life. I know her dad from when I was that high. Blood family. 
We come from broken backgrounds. We come from places where we're not supposed to be standing here preaching God's word. Satan has ministered lies to us. You're not good enough. How can God use somebody like you? But God, but God, I looked this morning and I thought, Lord, I'm standing here getting ready to minister your word. How is this possible? How is it possible that after so many years, a brother and a sister can stand meters from each other? She's worshiping God in rebirth. I'm getting ready to minister the gospel here in rebirth. God has engineered. God has engineered. God knows the end from the beginning. My heart was, you know, I, I look at, at Tilly and, and, and Deirdre. The covenant that they made so many years ago. Tilly, did you ever know where God was taking you and Deirdre to? Many years ago, God said, through this covenant, there's something called rebirth that is going to come forth. And the enemy has gone to and fro trying to steal, kill and destroy. But God, yes. but God, the minister, the high priest, the one who has written this movie, and here, here, rebirth. Oh, Lord. Lord, Lord, Lord. The covenant of Bevan and Zue. Look at this. The father of many nations. <laughs> Literally, a church is coming forth from the loins of this man. God has purposed this. <gasps> Glory. What God has put into effect, nothing can come against. The enemy will try. The enemy will try. But the enemy is defeated. The enemy is defeated this morning. Know this. God has the final say. God has the final say. Isaiah 46 verses 10 says, I make known the end from the beginning. The enemy has no power. The enemy has no power. I remember Bevan sharing in one of his sermons when he was also just so emotional. And he said, I remember a time where I was alone. I had no place to even live, to call home. And the place that God put him in, that almost, I suppose, looked like a prison at that point in time, with the iron doors clanging shut behind him, that feeling of loneliness. And I know that feeling because I've been there too. But isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit works? In those places where we feel so desolate, where we feel so alone, that knocking, that knocking, that God interceding, you're not alone, it's uncomfortable where you are right now, but you're not alone. This is our God. This is our God. You are not alone. I thank God for all that he's doing. You know, COVID has come really to steal, kill, and destroy. People have been laying in beds. People have been hospitalized. People have lost loved ones. But God is still on the throne. God is still in control. Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared 
in advance for us to do. I like the analogy of rebirth. Rebirth being that elevator that Bevan so aptly described the other day and people getting off on the different floors. Dean is somewhere in Alaska on a ship. He's an extension of rebirth. He's preaching the gospel where he is. Allison is in the Netherlands, an extension of rebirth, getting off on different floors. This is our mandate. How are we investing and preparing in our family, in our kids? I just want to challenge even more so the parents this morning. You know, time goes so quickly. Um, I, I keep on thinking of little Leighton in our home and, and, and I've become so attached to this little boy. But I know that, that at some point, you know, he's going to move out. And it's like, oh, the time goes so quickly. And as a parent, I suppose you watch this little kid grow up so quickly and before you know it, they're leaving home. This is my question and this is my challenge. What have we done with the time that we've had with them? We very easily do give a child a device to look at in order to free up some time. When last have we taken the time to sit with them and go through the devotions like we're talking about? Have the conversation. When the child has left the home, the parent is yearning for the child to come back. But have you invested the time when they were there? Things need to change, family. Things need to change. The script is written. The characters have been cast in order to you, for you and I to get into our role of the God-purposed life for us. I just want to read very quickly our passage from Acts 19, verses 21 to 27 talks about a riot that happened in Ephesus. A riot where Paul was present. Immediately preceding this riot, there was the, the gospel was gaining traction. The gospel was literally turning the world upside down as we knew it. Okay, miracles were happening. Miracles were happening, giving glory to Jesus Christ. I mean, the very handkerchief Paul, of Paul was being used to heal the sick. So can you imagine what was happening at that point in time? So the right at Ephesus says, verses 21. So this is Acts 19, verses 21. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And this is the part to take good note of. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. The great commotion about the way are our lives bringing about disruption to the things of this earth, to the way of this world. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupations, sounding almost like a union, and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not only, so they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only in is this trade of ours in danger or of falling into disrepute? But also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and a magnificence destroyed. 
whom all Asia and the world worship. And I've highlighted certain words there, keywords. Keywords. This is Paul and his ministry that has gone out. He's taking to the nations. And listen to these words. Is our ministry, our ministering to the nations being as disruptive as this, causing great commotion throughout almost all of, uh, of Asia? His ministry was persuasive. It was turning away many from that of Diana and the worship of Diana. There was danger attributed to Paul's message. Mute the normal way of doing things. People were worried that what they were normally were doing would be despised and it would be destroyed. Are our messages, are our lives bringing disruption? Or are we conforming to the patterns of this world? Are we set up peculiar? Or are we fitting in? Now just to bring it into perspective, this um, goddess Diana equated with the Greek goddess um, Artemis was the goddess of fertility. Now just to put it way into perspective how big this goddess was, Okay, the temple or the shrine that they had at Ephesus was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. This is how big the following was. And here, Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit, was threatening this very, threatening what has been the norm for so many years. What is our testimony doing? Paul spoke about it over and over and over. The way, the way, the way that was literally turning this world upside down. Paul throughout Acts talks about the way. But in John 14 verses 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. Jesus being preached literally is the key to disruption of the worldly things. What are we preaching? What is our lives saying? So I took a couple of lessons from Paul as an effective witness from Christ that we can learn from in order to fulfill this mandate from God. We cannot begin this race without true repentance. We need to surrender to the King of Kings. We cannot do this without true repentance. Acts 26 verses 14 says, this is uh, Paul uh, recount recounting the story of when he was still Saul and Jesus appeared through the, the, the bright light and Jesus says to him, it is hard for you to kick against the goads or the pricks. Now the goad or a prick was a stick, a pointed edge at the end of the stick with a, a, a silver or metal uh, part of it that was used to literally prick oxen while they were plowing. The idea is to get them to go in the correct or the desired direction. And if the oxen didn't comply and went in the opposite direction, the prick or the goad will only go deeper. It would hurt more. So Jesus was saying to, um, to Saul at the time, it is hard for you to kick against the goads, against the pricks. Don't do it your way. Surrender and do it my way. I will show you the way. Number two, this is talking about being an effective witness for Christ. There is no testimony without your personal relationship with Christ. You cannot borrow deans. You cannot borrow Grenvilles. You cannot borrow Fallons. It's your personal testimony. Your interaction, your relationship with Christ that makes you an effective witness. In Acts 26 verses 14, Saul at that time says, Who are you, Lord? The seeking. Are we really seeking God in our own lives? That is an effective witness. This is the third point of an effective witness that I've put down, a God-given burden for your fellow man. 
God-given burden for your fellow man. In Romans 9, Paul in essence states that he would give up his right to an eternal life if men could know Jesus and be saved. Literally laying down his life for his man, for his fellow man. What is our burden for our fellow man? What is our burden for our family? Or have we also gotten into, they, they call it in the aviation world, a normalization of deviance. You're so used to doing the wrong thing that you just keep on doing because it becomes a way of life. We're so used to this way of life day in, day out. There's no urgency for the gospel until we stand at a loved one's funeral where the Holy Spirit had given you that prick with the gold and said, Minister, and we have that I have tomorrow syndrome. I've got another time. General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said this. His desire would be to dangle his evangelism trainees over hell for 24 hours to appreciate the reality that awaits those who do not know Jesus Christ. What is our urgency, family? What is our urgency? I want to read to you very quickly um, a second person that is not in the Bible, that it was a remarkable witness for Christ. Corrie ten Boom, if you've heard of her. So Corrie ten Boom was a Holocaust survivor who became a renowned Christian leader known for her teachings on forgiveness. Born April the 15th, 1892 in Harlem, the Netherlands, died on April the 15th, on her birthday, 1983 in California, aged 91. She's written a couple of books, Tramp for the Lord, uh, I've read that one, Hiding Place and My Father's Place. So Corrie's grandfather, Willem ten Boom, opened a watchmaker shop in Harlem in 1837 and began a to pray for Jewish people who even then experienced discrimination in Europe. So Corrie became the first licensed woman watchmaker in Holland. Now check this, eh? She's been given a vocation, normal, but check what she's done with the vocation. What are you and I doing within our workplace? She taught Sunday school and Bible classes preparation in Jerusalem. She taught Sunday school and Bible classes and was active in organizing Christian clubs for Dutch children. During the German invasion in 1940 of Netherlands, Corrie, who was 48 at the time, turned her home into a safe haven for people trying to escape the Nazis. Dutch resistance members carried grandfather clocks into the watch shop, filled with bricks and mortar, to build a false wall in Corrie's bedroom. They hid Jews or members of the Dutch underground for years, safely operating for four years until an informant betrayed them. 30 people, including the Ten Boom family, were arrested. So Corrie's father, who was 84, died 10 days later in prison. Corrie and her sister remained incarcerated for many years under harsh conditions, but still conducted secret prayer services, voicing hymns and prayers in whispers to avoid attention of the gods. On December 16, 1944, Corrie's sister Betsy died of starvation and lack of medical care. Corrie recounted the following words, uh, or the following lines as Betsy's last words, her will and testament, if you were. We must tell them what we have learned here. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. They will listen to us, Corrie, because we have been here. Two weeks after Betsy's death, Corrie was released due to a clerical error. I'll call it a miracle from God. Shortly after this error and her release, all the other women in her age group were executed. Post-incarceration, she continued in her ministry and serving and eventually made her way to the USA. Through all her ministry, she met Billy Graham, 
who played a major role in her being made known to the world. So in this biography of Corrie Ten Boom's life, we see the same traits of an effective witness, a martyr to Christ as we saw with Paul. A personal experience and relationship with Christ, an all-in commitment to daily living the gospel, and a God-given burden for people to know the way. I'm going to end with some powerful quotes from Corrie Ten Boom. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. The first step on the way to victory is to recognize the enemy. Don't bother to give God instructions. Just report for duty. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. If the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. My challenge to you once again, family, is that if we stand before the King of Kings and we are accused of the gospel, is there evidence enough to convict us? We've been given the mandate of walking with the message of Jesus Christ and the resurrection? Has it become our daily lives? Has it become our walk? Has it become our everything? Or our careers? Or our jobs? Or our companies? First price and fit God into the rest. So our audit this morning is just that. We need to take stock of our lives and I stand before you as accused number one. This message is for me. This message is for me. This message is for you. I thank you, family. I'm going to give directly over to Pastor Bevan. And I thank you for allowing me to share what God has placed in my heart. Amen. Amen.